heard this this morning, but we had a first-time visitor in church this morning get saved. He trusted Christ as a Savior. That was very exciting, very, very thrilling, and uh, brought by folks uh, that come to our church. So I would encourage you, bring people along to our meeting. Now, tonight, we'll have, of course, church tonight in a moment. Uh, Brother Willette will preach. And then Monday and Tuesday, here in the auditorium at 7 o'clock. However, however, don't just, don't just come at 7. Do you know why? You can come at 6 o'clock for dinner. Oh, yeah. Pastor Monty, what are we having? We are having the Lord's chicken. We are having Chick-fil-A. We are having born-again Baptist chicken. I'm not just chicken, but I mean the good stuff. I mean the heavenly stuff. We're going to have Chick-fil-A tomorrow night. And guess what? It's only 5 bucks per person, maximum of $20 for a family. So if you have 18 kids, you only pay 20 bucks. So the more kids you have, the better value it is. Does everybody see that? So go ahead, those of you who can, go ahead and have some more kids because the more kids you have, the better value. It's always going to be at Faith Baptist Church. We want to have big families around here. Well, we're so glad of that. That starts at six o'clock. Now, if you're gonna be part of the Chick-fil-A, listen, you have to buy a ticket in the lobby. We have to know who's coming. We have to know how much. Don't, it's so tacky. It's so tacky when you don't buy a ticket and you just kind of drag in and kind of grab a sandwich secretly and don't even pay $5. That is very tacky, okay? You know who you are, okay? That is very tacky. Don't do that. But get your ticket. That way we can buy enough food. And by the way, that way we don't waste the Lord's money here because obviously five bucks isn't covering all this, okay? Uh, so that way we don't waste the Lord's money. All right, Dr. Willett, you come and preach to us. He's my friend, someone I admire, and I admire him more highly every time I'm with him. And he has got the Lord all over him. So you come preach to us, brother. Thank you, God preacher. bless you. We're so glad to have you. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would please. Hebrews the 12th chapter. Thanks for coming to church tonight. Can I, can I tell them what I said to you at lunch? You're the preacher. You can do anything you want. Well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's not good advice. He said, you're, you're the preacher. You can do anything you want. No, I don't think so. But, you know, you know what's really... Uh, should, I, should I say this? Okay, I'm feeling in a little bit goofy mood. You know, when you listen to Brother Willett, his voice is different because of the voice box thing that he has. His voice is a little bit different. It really makes it interesting as you listen, if you picture in your mind an um, Italian mafia guy. I never watched The Godfather, so I don't even know what to say. But maybe that would help if I took the offering. Give generously. Oh, you know what'll happen to you. I'm so glad you came back to church tonight. How many of you have been here every service so far this this meeting? Wow, that's great. How many have been here every service except one? That's the rest of you. So you got a good streak going. Don't blow it. In the Bible, there are positive commands and negative commands. I would suggest to you that the penalty for not obeying a negative command tends to be much higher than the penalty for not obeying a positive command. Let me give you an example. The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul. 
The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. But don't raise your hands and certainly don't point at anyone. But how many of you know somebody that had to leave some aspect of ministry because of adultery? But how many of you ever heard of a time, well, we had to let our pastor go. Why? Well, he didn't love God with all his heart. Sorry, you can't teach Sunday school. Why? You don't love God with all your heart. In the Bible, for the family, in this family emphasis, I want to talk about this in a minute. There are a few negative commands. Wives are told not to withhold affection from their husbands. Parents, fathers are told not to provoke their children to wrath. And husbands in particular in Colossians chapter 3 are told husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. One of the greatest problems in the average family, church family, worldly family, is bitterness. My friend Jim Van Geldren preaches to teenagers all around the country. He's a great preacher, he can preach to adults, and he does. But God's led him to emphasize teenagers. He said the number one problem he finds with teenagers is not immorality. That's the number two problem. The number one problem that he finds is bitterness. Now, do you stand on Sunday nights when you read the scripture? No, what do you do? You don't read scripture, I get it, okay. So look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, a profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Lord, would you help me to say all and only the things you once said? Bind the devil and his demons. You said they always come to snatch away the seed of the word from the soul of hearts. Keep them from man. Help each of us to determine to be good ground, to listen, and then to obey. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make four statements, and then I'm going to give you three points in the sermon. A few years back in our church, our theme was looking unto Jesus. So that's the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. I started preaching that. I preached through the chapter. I got to this section, and I thought this will be a good review. I've preached on bitterness for years. My book, When You Can't Just Get Over It, first book the Lord ever let me have put in print, has a chapter on bitterness. But when I began to study, I saw something I'd never seen before. Here are the four statements. Number one, everyone has been hurt. Not the same way, not to the same extent, but everybody's been hurt. In the world you shall have tribulations. It is impossible, but the defenses shall come. Number two, 
Desserts can turn to bitterness. They don't have to. But they can. Bitterness is a hurt you hang on to. Number three. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now we say grace is unmerited favor. We say grace is uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. All right. But grace is more than that. If I came by your house tomorrow and I said, uh, could I please have a sandwich? And you give me a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That would be unmerited favor. You do not owe me a sandwich. But I would already call it grace. I wouldn't say, Dr. Monty, you won't believe the incredible grace one of your members showed me. They gave me a sandwich with peanut butter and jelly. But if I went by your house and I took an ice pick and punctured the tires of all your vehicles. Then I put your cat in the dryer, and your dog in the washing machine, and I soaked all your windows, and I poured sand down the gas tanks of every vehicle. I kicked up your shrubs, and then I knocked on the door and I said, I'm hungry. Could I please have a sandwich? If you gave me a sandwich, then that would be grace. Grace is much more than unmerited favor. It is favor given to people who have tremendous demerit. When Jesus died on the cross for us, we were his enemies. So for the purpose of our discussion tonight, grace is giving good to people who deserve bad. Everybody's been hurt. These hurts can turn to bitterness. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. That much I'd preached for years. And I'd say, you got a root of bitterness. Get it out. It's a poison that you feed yourself. It's a cancer. It leaks you from the inside out. Get rid of the root of bitterness. But here's what I saw that I'd never seen before. There is nothing in our passage about removing the root of bitterness. In fact, if you just read the passage, the assumption, the, in, the implication is that the roots are always there. And every once in a while they come up. And when they come up, we must respond with grace. So here is the fourth statement. Because I would preach on it, and I'd say get rid of the root of bitterness. People come to the altar, they'd get right with God, God, I'm sorry, remove the root of bitterness. And it would work for a little while. Then something would happen. The anniversary of a terrible event. A daughter became the same age mother was when something awful happened to her. Somebody that had been out of their life would come back in. And all those thoughts and feelings would come roiling back up to the surface and they'd say, oh, it didn't work. Statement number one, everybody's been hurt. Statement number two, these hurts can turn to bitterness. Statement number three, God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Statement number four, 
Dealing with these urges is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the urge springs up. I exercise. I always tell people that because they would never suspect so otherwise. I'll do usually three, sometimes five or six hours a week on the elliptical. I have bad knees, jogging's bad for me, besides I caused that last earthquake in California. Well, I was out jogging. But I exercise. In fact, I'm getting so good at the elliptical, pretty soon I'm going to start moving the pedals. Now, here's what I know about exercise. You go out and you exercise really hard. Give it everything you've got. Run as far. Build your heart rate up as high. Lift as many weights as you can. Go to your totally exhausted. And if you can measure everything about your health before and after the exercise, there would be so little difference that you couldn't even identify it. If you have to choose between exercising once or never, choose never. I see some of you have. But if you exercise over and over and over and over again, I resting heart rates in the low 60s. It was in the mid 50s before my surgery. I'm building back up. I have low cholesterol, low heart rate, low IQ. Not because I exercised once, because I did it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the urge springs up. So let's look at our text. Number one, I want you to notice the roots. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Three things about roots. Number one, roots are covered. You don't see them. I've heard people compliment trees, the branches, the leaves, the fruit, even the bark, but I've never heard anybody say, wow, look at the roots on that tree. They're covered. I don't see you tonight. I see the expression you place on your face. Pretended interest. Bored indifference. Irritation. But the real use covered. Number two, these roots are caustic. They're called roots of bitterness. There are some experiences we've had. There's some people who've been in our lives and the mere thought of them can make us pucker up like we've been sucking on a lemon. It's bitter. It's caustic. Number three, these roots come up. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, I'm going to give you a quiz. I didn't tell you to prepare for it, but you're from Indiana. You'll do great. If I squeezed a lemon really hard, what would come out? What kind of juice? Could I get tomato juice out of it? If I squeezed it hard enough, could I get grapefruit juice? No, I can't get anything out of it that's not already in it. Nobody ever hit their thumb with a hammer and then said a bad word they'd never heard of. 
If it's not in there, it doesn't come out. Now, here's why that matters. We like to say, well, I'm not really like that. That's not really me. I was just having a rough time. That's not who I am. I heard about a young preacher. One of his first opportunities to preach, he'd worked hard, he'd borrowed heavily from great preachers of the past. He's preaching along and a dear lady about a couple of rows back on the aisle thought she recognized the source of some of his material and she said, that's Charles Spurgeon. Well, it was. But he thought it was kind of rude, he just shrugged it off. He preached a little further and she said, that's D.L. Moody. So he stared at her. Figured that put her in her place, didn't work. Staring at little old ladies doesn't do any good. And he preached a little further and she said, that's Billy Sunday. He did all he could take. He said, lady, would you shut up and let me finish my sermon? And she said, that's you. <laughs> yeah, those harsh words in the car tonight. Those unkind statements we made to our spouse, our children, our parents, our siblings last week. Those uh, critical comments we put on social media, that's you. They come up. But notice not only the root of bitterness, notice the Bible gives us a result. Looking diligently, lest any root of bitterness is bringing up, watch this, trouble you. Well, isn't that interesting? Trouble you. Root, result number one. Difficulty for you. Now I find that intriguing. Why do we hang on to things? Why do we refuse to let them go? Why do we not forgive? Well, rather we'll let that thing that person did to me so bad it does not deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve to be let off the hook. But the Bible says your bitterness doesn't bother them, it bothers you. I was in college Went to the same college your pastor went to. I've recovered from most of it. <laughs> there was big then, 5,000 students. There was a preacher friend of my dad whose son was also in the college. He was not in my life. He wasn't a friend, wasn't an enemy, just wasn't in my life. One day my dad said, son, Brother so-and-so said that his son said that you hated his guts and wanted to punch his face in that you told him that. I said, Dad, I never said that. And Dad said, well, you need to make it right. And I said, with all the wisdom of a sophomore in college, Dad, I didn't do anything wrong. Why should I make it right? Not getting much support. Hey, let me give you a little thought, who is responsible to take the initiative to make things right when there's difficulty between Christian brothers and sisters? Is it the person who took offense or the person who caused the offense? How many say took offense? How many say caused offense? How many say I don't want to raise my hand? <laughs> well, the Bible says, Matthew chapter 5, therefore they'll bring that gift before the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee. So you've caused the problem. He's upset with you. Maybe right, maybe wrong, but you're the issue. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Do not stop tithing. Like that part, leave it at the altar. 
first go be reconciled to thy brother and then come offer thy gift. But in Matthew 18, the Lord says, if you have ought against your brother, now you're not the person who's caused the offense, you're the person who's taken offense. Go to thy brother, tell him his fault, just between the two of you. See him alone. In the years you have gained your brother. So in Matthew 5, he says, if you cause the problem, go make it right. In Matthew 6, uh, 18, he says, if you've taken the offense, go make it right. In other words, Jesus says, don't fiddle around figuring out whose fault it is. Just get it right. So I went to this young man. I said, my dad said that your dad said that you said that I said that I hated your guts and I wanted to punch you in the face and I never said that. And you know what happened. God convicted him of his slander against me. He fell into deep, deep sorrow. Burst into tears. Threw his arms around me. He begged me to forgive him. Later on, he went into business, and just last month, he wrote me a check for $500,000. This is a tough crowd. My prophetic utterance is falling on um, stony ground. No, you know what happened? He said, ah, uh, it's okay. And I'm thinking, it's okay? You lied about me? You got me in trouble with my dad? And all I can say is, it's okay, it didn't work, did it? Well, I don't know. I honored my father. I obeyed the Bible. I did what God said, I had a clear conscience. Now, the young man's an old man like me now, we're fine. He was at my dad's 80th birthday party, I was at his brother-in-law's funeral. We see each other, everything's fine. I've been at our church a few years, trying to have a big day and have 500 in Sunday school for the first time in the history of the church. This young man's dad was about an hour and a half away and he had a singing group, so I invited the group to come be part of our big day. About 13, 14 people in the group and we had 503 in Sunday school, so one way to have big days is to invite large groups. We had a good time. Everything was fine, talking about our friends, where they're serving God. And I got a letter a couple of weeks later. Dear Brother Willette, I just wanted to write and tell you that for all these years I have arbored against you, not bitterness. By the way, here's another freebie. I have limited success helping bitter people see that they're bitter. I'll go through the scripture. I'll show them what the Bible says, remind them what they've said to me. I'll say, looks to me like you have an issue with bitterness. And the normal response is, I'm not bitter. <laughs> Got it. No idea how I could have made that mistake. Not bitterness, but a trace of resentment. I think that's Greek for bitterness. Now here's the deal, all those years that he arbored a trace of resentment against me and never bothered me one time. Never kept me from enjoying soul winning with our members, fellowship with the people in our church, taking my wife out to dinner. No, bitterness is a poison you feed yourself. It brings difficulty for you. 
Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you. But here's the second result. It brings defilement for others, and, and thereby many be defiled. That won't take the time to go into it. But I believe in our text, Esau is not an example of a bitter person. He may have been bitter. But he's given us an example of one who is defiled by the bitterness of his mother. She saw that he was going to get the blessing. God wasn't giving his promise. Her favorite, Jacob, wasn't going to get the position that God had said he'd have. And she took matters in her own hands, lied, deceived her own husband, drew her son into her deception. I've been in churches and, and a cloud covered everything. I can tell my funniest joke using my most touching illustration. Reach what I thought was my most helpful message and nothing. Brother Monty, I stayed long enough and you have to to find out that the preacher was bitter. He'd been mistreated. He'd been badly dealt with by the people of God, but he allowed it to become bitterness. And it affected the entire congregation. You can't be bitter. It'll not stop with you. It'll affect your spouse. It'll affect your children. It'll affect everybody you try to minister to. Everybody you try to disciple. Everybody try to win to Christ. Difficulty for you, but defilement for others. So what do we do? What's the remedy for bitterness? We've seen the root, the result. Think about the remedy. How can I do good to people who deserve bad? Well, number one, that requires faith. They have to believe that God is going to reward you, that God knows what he's talking about when he tells you to live that way. Roger Powell's daughter, Jessica, was seven years old. Always wanted to be a missionary. He was our music director. She ran up one Wednesday night before church, gave me a big hug, said, Uncle Preacher, I'm going to God's country tonight. Said, we're going to Georgia, be in a wedding. They got about to Ann Arbor. The roads were clear, but the bridge was icy. The van they rented spun out of control, smacked into a guardrail. Just minor injuries. Except that uh, Jessica was lying on the floor, trying to sleep, didn't have a seatbelt on. The window by which her seat was popped out with the impact, and her body was thrown out of the van. She smashed to the pavement and died. Brother Powell called me. I went down to pick him up and his family. The way back, he told me about the hospital chaplain who came to him and said, well, this is what you learn in chaplain school, not in the Bible. There are some things God can't help. Not my God. Our God sitteth in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. But he said, God wants to be there to help you through the things you cannot help. And in spite of of his grief and the shock of that awful event, Roger Bow looked into the eyes of that unsaved man and he said, Mister, this was not an accident. This was an appointment. Baby. 
So let me ask you a question. Is there a God? Three of you believe that. That's good. Let me try again. Is there a God? Does he love you? Did he promise to work all things together for good if you loved him and were called according to his purpose? Do you believe it? Then you can give good to people who deserve bad. Number two is forgiveness. Well, I know you got to forgive and forget. I'm not really. Your mind is so made that you never really forget anything. It's all in there somewhere. You can't get it when you want it, but it's in there. Heard about an old guy sitting next to his old friend on the porch. And he looked at him. He said, always forget. Was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? <laughs> no, the literal meaning of forgiveness is to cancel a debt. I met a man one time in a meeting. He read a little book called The Hole of No Hope. And in the book, he had a definition of forgiveness. And I was intrigued. He said, forgiveness. It's agreeing to live with the unchangeable consequences of another's sin against me. So if I borrow $10 from Brother Paradowski tonight, and I say, I'll pay you tomorrow. I see him tomorrow morning, man, I forgot the 10 bucks. I'm sorry, I'll get you at lunch. I see him at lunch, so I forgot it, I'll give it to you tonight. I see him Monday night, he says, I forgot it, I'll give it to you tomorrow, I'll give it to you. And finally he says, Brother Willette, I've got a lot of money. We could pay a couple hundred thousand a year as assistant pastors. I don't need the money. You can just have the ten bucks. You can do that. Or you could say, brother, well, I didn't really need the ten bucks, but I would like to think of you as an honest man that keeps his word, and I wish you'd pay it back sometime. You could do that. What he could not do is tell me that I am forgiven of that debt and then tell you that I owe him ten bucks. Because once he forgave it, I don't owe him anything. Amen. And once you forgive somebody, you don't have the right to talk about what they did to you anymore. The debt is canceled. The remedy, faith, forgiveness. Forgiving one another even as, not even since, but even as. God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. God forgives us immediately, forgives us permanently, forgives us completely. And then the last part of the remedy is to fight. The weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, either battle for success or failure, victory or defeat in your Christian life is fought and waged, won or lost in your mind. Whoever controls your mind controls you. Here's what you do. You get your Bible version that answers the wrong thought that keeps popping in your mind. And you just quote that verse. Quote it out loud if you can. Quote it in your mind, your heart, if you can't, say it out loud. I can't prove what I'm about to say, but I think you may have to do it a thousand times a day when you start. But after a while, you'll have to do it 500 times and 200 times and 50 times. Because I think the devil will get tired of every time he tries to turn you against God, you running back to God and his word, and after a while, they leave you alone. Amen. 
there was a young lady I heard about had been attacked and brutalized in the most awful manner imaginable. She went to her pastor and he gave her very wise but strange advice. He said, well, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Wow. It does, but I'm not sure that's what I want to hear right then. But the Bible tells us how to do it. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. So you say good things about them. You do good things to them. You pray for them. And the young lady covenanted with God that that's what she would do. She never said anything bad about her, her, her attacker. She maybe sent him anonymous gifts while he was in jail. She prayed not for God to judge him or get him, but for God to save him, to help him. Didn't happen all at once. It was an exercise. But gradually the cloud lifted and her life went back to normal. She got married, had children, great life. Many years later in a grocery store, she came around the end of the aisle and found herself face to face with that man. He'd served his sentence and been released. And she looked into his eyes and felt nothing. The word of God, consistently applied over a period of time, had given her victory. Everyone's been hurt. These hurts can turn to bitterness. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurt springs up. Lord, speak to our hearts. Guide me by your spirit as I extend the invitation. I wonder if you're tonight and you say, Brother Willette. So far as I know, there's no problem in my life in this area. The Spirit of God did not remind me of any person or any incident, prompt me about anything. As far as I know, in this area, I'm right with God. If you could say that. Would you slip your hand up by? God bless you. Thank you. Most of us could not raise our hands. Now that gives the rest of us a choice. We can respond to what the Spirit of God has said to our hearts, or we can resist. We can be compliant, obedient, or we can be disobedient. Would you obey?